our body, our biggest detoxification organ is our skin. Mm. And so by sweating, we're actually releasing the impurities through our sweat. And that's a huge way to do it. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutritionist, and I'm the host on this podcast. And I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself. And on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we really think food is medicine. Your body was created to heal itself, that there's nothing from the outside that really heals you. It's all really about your body's own innate ability to heal. And we know that food and our lifestyle are conduits that really can strengthen our body and allow us to have a better healing capacity, or they can weaken us and make us less able to heal ourselves. They can actually interfere with our healing process. And so today we're going to talk about fasting, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, lifestyle principles. We're going to talk about carb cycling. We're going to talk about genetics, and we're going to talk about hormone health, particularly female hormone health. I've got a great guest. This is Dr. Michelle Sands good friend of mine and a brilliant naturopathic physician. She is the number one Amazon bestseller of the book Hormone Harmony, which is a really great book that you guys should check out. We'll have a link for that. Uh, She's a board certified holistic nutritionist, naturopath. She has Glow Natural Wellness and her signature program, The Glow Protocol, which we'll find out more about in this interview. And she also has a groundbreaking program, DNA Made Simple, which takes the guesswork out of genetics and epigenetics and gives people a personal instruction plan for optimal health. She is also an athlete, an ultra marathoner and seven-time triathlete. And she also has a cute little son as well. And uh, so welcome to the podcast, Dr. Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I know that uh, you're a huge advocate of intermittent fasting, detox, genetics. And so how did you get into this? Let's, let's talk about your story and how you really got into natural health. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. You know, my family, I grew up in New York in an Italian family. And, you know, we had the, the four P's was our, was our meal plan. It was pizza, pasta, pastries, and uh, peanuts, right? It was just like junk food. Um, so basically every meal had like seven different types of carbs. And my mom, like in my family, like the definition of eating healthy actually meant eating a lot. Like she's a healthy eater, meant that she ate a lot of food. And so like my family just like, it didn't really understand nutrition, didn't really understand a lot about health. Um, my dad had diabetes. My mom had depression, um, a lot of different health issues around in my family. Um, so like, I didn't really have a good like mentorship growing up when it came to like taking care of my body or even realizing that health was somewhat in my control, right? I just kind of believed that like, well, I was born to this family of unhealthy people. And I noticed that when my dad ate dinner, he would unbuckle his belt, go lay down on the couch because he felt kind of tired and not so good, kind of bloated. And I felt that way after I ate. So I'm like, okay, pretty normal that everyone feels like crap after they eat. So I didn't think that much of it until I became kind of like in junior high, you know, when you start getting a little more concerned about how you look and comparing yourself to other kids. 
And so I noticed that I was heavier than the other girls. I had horrible acne. And I also had a lot of like stomach issues. I also had issues with my period. Like I, my periods were really hard and heavy and I'd get horrible cramps that I have to stay home from school. And so like things are starting to concern me. My mom did take me to a doctor who did give me birth control pills at age 12, which was horrifying to my mom. Like she's, she was warning me to secrecy, do not tell anyone you're on these horrible pills, which made me feel really like bad about myself. Like why, why do I have to take these horrible pills that are so embarrassing to my mom? But you know, that was just like how we dealt with things. Just you go to a doctor, you get some pills. And even every time my mom, my brother and I got sick, my mom would actually just call her friend who was a doctor and he'd get us a prescription for antibiotics, which at the time, like no one thought there was anything wrong with that. Um, it was just you took the antibiotics when you started getting the sniffles. You didn't have to get sick for that long. But, you know, we now know that that could be a lot of the reason why I had a lot of gut issues, a lot of stomach problems, even hormonal issues that I found out later down the line. But I, in that junior high age frame, I did run go out for the track team because I thought, well, hey, if I run, I can at least lose some weight. And so um, I did try out for the track team. I, I don't know how I made it because I really couldn't run for you to save my life. But the track coach, she was actually kind of like a role model for me. She kind of saw what I was trying to do. That I was trying to take care of myself in some small way. And she kind of took me under her wing because she was way different than my family. Like she actually was into herbalism and using food as medicine. She had a little garden and she had all these books that taught me about nutrition that she lent to me. And so she kind of just was the first person that ever told me like that what I put in my body had some kind of influence on how my body behaved. And so she taught me, Michelle, you know, if you want to be able to concentrate, if you want to be able to run faster, if you want to feel better, you have to eat things from the earth. You have to eat fruits and vegetables. You have to not eat the junk food. And so I would look at the lunch my mom packed for me and it would literally be two cans of soda, a bag of Doritos, a hostess snack cake, and like a bologna sandwich. Like that was what I had every day. And that's what my mom was giving me to, to feed me. And no offense to her, but like she just didn't understand like that that food was not actually giving my body the information that it needed to perform how I wanted it to perform. So I would trade that out because I was following my track coach's instructions. So I'd find kids that had the carrots and the celery or the juice or the fruit, and I'd trade out my lunch to get those things. I didn't really get to trade the bologna sandwich because nobody really wanted that. So I'd give that to the janitor. But this is my little first little way of like taking care of my health. And then fast forward to college, you know, I um, I actually ended up getting a track scholarship to college, which was quite amazing because I'm the first person in my family to go to any kind of post high school education. So it was really something I never thought was going to happen. But on the track team in college, I would push myself really, really hard, even though I had a lot of these underlying issues that they never really went away, but I kind of just kind of pushed through them with over-the-counter medication. So I was taking... In college, I was taking about six Advil or ibuprofen first thing in the morning just to get out of the bed because my joints ache so much. Mm. And I'd taken another six or eight before I ran. And we had two track practices a day. So that would be like 18 to 20 ibuprofen pills per day. And this was just to get by. And then I'd take something to help me fall asleep. I would have the giant Costco things of Tums because my tummy would always be bothering me anytime I ate. Mm. We actually wouldn't eat until after the second track practice. So after... Um, like 3 p.m. was when we had our second track practice. If I ate before that, I ended up like pooping my pants when I ran. So mm. I would have to like, so I, I was forced intermittent fasting at that point, mm. but I wasn't getting all the nutrition I needed because I was just eating that one meal and I didn't really mm. understand how to do it at the time. So 
you know, one thing led to another. I ended up passing out on the track one day hmm. and I got taken to urgent care where they basically ran a bunch of tests, um, decided nothing was wrong with me. But I broke down then in the doctor's office and started like explaining like how I was taking all these pills and how I was in pain all the time, how I didn't think I could handle it anymore. And so they ran some more tests. They, we actually went to another appointment and they, they ran actually hormones and uh, stress tests and all types of tests. And basically they couldn't find anything wrong with my digestion. Um, the only thing they found is that my hormones were actually the level of what they said I was 50 year old at the time. Mm. So they diagnosed me then uh, with primary ovarian failure. So basically my ovaries were done. I was practically in menopause, which would explain some of the hot flashes and the hair falling out and all the things that were going on with me. But you know, I was 19. So here I am 19 being told I'm in menopause. And it it's just like- Were you no longer menstruating? I actually was, I hadn't menstruated at that point for two years. Wow, so athletic so, amenorrhea would be a-, a Exactly, exactly. So that was kind of- yeah, and I think there's just a lot of, looking back now, there was a lot of things that kind of went into why my ovaries weren't working. Like, if you yeah. really think about how the body works, it's very smart. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about, like, was that really a good scenario for me to bring a baby into the world or to carry yeah. a baby in my body? I was, like, beating myself up. My body right. was constantly stressed. All the running, all the, um, you know, ibuprofen, all the things I was doing to it. Whereas is, it wasn't a good environment for a baby to grow. And so sometimes the body is like smarter than the doctors are. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's so, but the good thing is like, I was told basically that I'd never be able to have children. That this was irreversible. And I was put on, believe it or not, birth control pills to try to regulate my hormones, hmm. which here I am being told my ovaries don't work and I'm being put on birth control pills. So that makes absolutely no sense. And then antidepressants because that's probably the other, the whole stick with that was why I was feeling bad because I was actually depressed, you know, and you know, I'm a pretty happy person, but I believed it. I bought into it and I took the birth control pills and I took the antidepressants and I actually started getting depressed. And I started like really thinking like there was something like just innately wrong with me that I was somehow broken, less than a woman, you know, and it really hurt. It hit me for a long time that I was never going to have a kid. And I'd grown up like having the baby doll and like imagining my wedding and imagining my life with my children. And this whole thing just kind of shattered underneath mm-hmm. me. And so it was like many, many years that I actually tried to like look at alternative medicine doctors, go to Reiki specialists, do all the like things I can find. Anyone that said that there was like hormone fix, I would go do, but I would take like one step forward and two steps back because I would just do it part way. So I would never get fully immersed into any one thing but I would try everything just a little bit. And it wasn't until probably about 10 years later that I decided I was going to go back to medical school and become a doctor and figure out what was wrong with my body myself. So I went back to naturopathic medical school and pieces started falling together. And just uh, started learning how the body all works together and really learning that the body can heal itself if you take away all the unnatural things from your life. And so, you know, I figured out I had autoimmune condition. I had both celiac, believe it or not, like you heard my diet earlier. So mm-hmm. here I am with celiac and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I had heavy metal toxicity. I had some intestinal issues with parasites and bacterial imbalances. And so I knew I can heal, or I thought I can heal the ovarian failure, but I knew I could probably tackle those other things. So I've heard stories about other people overcoming those other things. So I worked on like the food sensitivities. I worked on getting rid of the gluten. I worked on you know the autoimmune condition, anti-inflammatory diet. 
I worked on detoxification. I worked on healing my gut and all the little symptoms started going away. I started feeling better and believe it or not, my period came back and I started Mm. feeling normal again. And I met my now husband and I was so afraid to tell him that I couldn't have children because I didn't think he'd want to be with me. But he was like, oh, don't worry about it. You're pretty healthy now. You're not, you, you weren't healthy before, but you're healthy now. So let's give it a try. So, you know, like we got married, boom, we had packs. We was, I was yeah. pregnant with Paxton like within two months. Wow. We were actually yeah. on a vacation in Mexico. We never thought we were going to get pregnant. But, you know, was, I started feeling nauseous and I'm like, no, it can't be. I can't have kids. And then we went and we got the pregnancy test. Pregnant had my son Paxton, who's now five years old, and he's super healthy. And, you know, it's just, it just goes to show that no matter what you're diagnosed with, whether it's cancer, diabetes, autoimmune condition, infertility, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your fate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can really relate with a lot of what you talked about there. Number one, you, you mentioned how you weren't putting the right information into your body. And that's a big thing I talk about on this podcast is that food is really biological information that you're literally teaching your, your genetics how to express themselves. So I loved how, that you used that analogy. And then you also talked about the ibuprofen. and tyl- Did you say Tylenol or ibuprofen? It was ibuprofen. It was like, yeah, that's what I like thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember I played baseball in high school and my coach, and he was well-intentioned. He told me to take ibuprofen. I was a pitcher. He told me to take ibuprofen, right? To keep the inflammation down. So, I mean, I was, again, when you're, you think more is better, right? So I was taking eight to 10 a day during yeah. baseball season. And that really played a big role in causing irritable bowel because in my early 20s, I suffered with irritable bowel. So I, you know, I have a similar, similar road as far as that goes. And then my wife actually was diagnosed with endometriosis and told that she wouldn't have kids. And wow. um, obviously we have three uh, children now. So um, you're absolutely right. You know, good thing is that, you know, the unfortunate thing is so much of the information out there that people are applying is causing major harm to their health. But the good news is that there's grace, there's mercy, the body can heal itself. And uh, you're, you're living proof of that. So let's talk about some of the nutrition strategies that you use. What did you do as far as diet change and how has that, that evolved over the years? I know we've talked before. Uh, I know you're a fan of intermittent fasting. You apply a cyclical ketogenic diet. So let's talk about your evolution as far as nutrition goes. Yeah, so it's it's been quite an evolution because when I, you know, growing up, I had all the carbs, all the sugar, all the junk food, and then I started like really being concerned about my health. And actually, in that high school range, I actually started really counting calories. And if you ask me, like Michelle, how many calories are a graham cracker? I could spit out like how many calories are any food. I studied all the food packages, so I actually swung all the way to the other side to almost the unhealthy side where I was very, very concerned about my weight and very, very analytical about everything that went into my body. The plus side of that is I started to understand the components of food, but the Mm -hmm. negative side was I got a little bit neurotic about it, almost to the point of an eating disorder. So that that became an issue. And I was horribly afraid of fat, right? Because this is the the 90s. This is when I actually started personal training when I was in college to make some money on the side. And I told every single one of my clients to avoid fat like the plague because fat made you fat. And I would yeah. just beat it into people, low carb, or not low carb, high <laughs> low carb, fat. low yeah. fat. Like remember the snack wells, the oh, snack yeah. wells, little oh, food? Yeah. They're little chocolate, chocolate cookies, but they're fat free. So they're yeah. healthy, right? <laughs> or Twizzlers, like licorice, it's fat free. And like all yeah. the all the, the horrible food would have like the fat free banner on yeah. the label. And so we're like, oh yeah, it's fat free. So it's good for you. 
So um, that was kind of my eating style like through college. And I was definitely afraid of fat, but I had these hormonal issues, right? So as I started studying, hormones are made from cholesterol. And so mm -hmm. they're steroid hormones. So I started like the wheels started turning. Well, if I'm not eating any fat, I wonder if that's bad for my hormones. And so it was very, very hard for me to do. I started doing a little bit at a time, adding a little bit of healthy fats to my diet. A little bit, and it was still very scary. So anyone who's on the low fat diet who's listening, I totally feel you. It is super scary to like switch over, but we have to stop calling dietary fat the same name as we call the fat in our thighs, right? Yeah. It should not be the same name because that's the whole thing where you're like saying you know, fat is fat, but fat is just, it's fuel. It's a different type of fuel that our body burns. And the, the thing is like fat, it actually is higher energy. And it also is the raw materials that our brain needs and our hormones need. So I started eating more fat and like some amazing things happened. Like, first of all, I wasn't hungry all the time anymore because um, I was actually more satisfied, but my period started coming back. Um, like my, my whole eating style has ultimately switched. I was already doing the intermittent fasting kind of by necessity. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I couldn't eat until later in the day. But um, so that's kind of been a natural thing for me. Even when I was younger, I would actually I, like throw my breakfast in the trash because I was afraid of the things I was going to be forced to eat later in the day. So I was trying to save calories. So I think my body kind of evolved just naturally to not eat early in the morning. I also have something called delayed sleep phase syndrome, which is my genetics are actually programmed to actually work better later in the day. So my body's not even ready for food in the morning. So that's kind of how my intermittent fasting came about. I've always kind of done that. I've never been a, a breakfast eater. But yeah, I've, I've had this huge met metamorphosis to eating more fat and less carbs. And, mm -hmm. and that made a huge difference in my inflammation, in my pain levels, in my ability to control my weight. Because even when I was running nonstop and doing all that track and, and cross-country practice, I still always had a little problem maintaining my weight when I was younger. And ever since I switched over to not only less cardio, because now I do, not only did I change my eating, but I also changed the way I worked out as well. Mm -hmm. I had added more yeah. restorative exercise like yoga and Tai Chi, I, didn't, I added in some weights. And maybe I, I still like to run because I enjoy it. But now instead of running 14 miles, I run three miles, right? So it's a little yeah. bit different, a little less pounding on my body, less stress I'm putting my body through. Because your body, when you're running, if you're running like long distance like that, it, it is a stressor, but your body can't really tell the difference between like, are you running from a tiger or are you running just for exercise? So right. those are, so I actually changed my diet and my workout routine to better facilitate hormone health and balance in my life. Yep. Yep. But yeah. Let's talk about that on like a weekly schedule, what that looks like. Um, how old are you now, Michelle? You're. I'm 45. 45. Right. So you're obviously you're in perimenopause, um, yeah. but you still have a menstrual cycle. Yep. And so how are you. Let's talk like on a on a week by week basis. How you're focusing in on keto, carb cycling, and then also how you're doing inner, you know, putting in your fitness as well. Because you know, I know you personally, you're about as fit a 45 year old woman as there is on the planet right now. So, you know, every every woman out there should be should be listening in as far as uh, you know how you're modulating your exercise, your fasting, your keto. I know everybody's a little bit different, but I think they get a lot of insight from this. Yeah, so it's, it's I, I'm a little like maybe more anal than like the average. Yeah. 
you know, I, yeah, of course, of course we are. I mean, <laughs> I mean you are too. We're, we're biohackers. You know? event and like, we're the, we're the yeah. only people that are like, I don't really want to eat that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. know what kind of oil they're using. But yeah. you know, that's just like how I am. And I actually enjoy it. And actually it actually makes me feel better. Maybe it's because I had such a horrible past when it comes to like the things I was putting in my body that now like the, the pleasure of just like enjoying a meal with people who are eating cheesy at a horrible restaurant isn't as great as the pleasure that I'm going to feel from like knowing that I'm not putting crap into my body. So I, it, it's a little bit of a strange way that my body works, my mind works, but yeah. So how, how I, I don't really like count carbs. I don't mm -hmm. count fat grams. Yep. I just kind of intuitively um, choose the foods that my body craves and, and it happens to crave higher fats, lower carbs. And, and it sounds crazy because I was like the girl that was eating like a bucket of licorice every day after school. So <laughs> It's quite a, a metamorphosis. If someone is eating a lot of carbs today, you're probably not going to automatically like tomorrow not crave carbs, but it definitely is a like a, a gradual thing that happens. Um, you could switch overnight, I guess. I've had clients do that, but there there is a little bit of craving that happens, I think, just because your brain is so used to getting yeah. that dopamine like, hit from the sugar. So what I like to do is I generally, I wake up, I wake up a little later because as I mentioned, my genes are actually yeah. programmed. To where I actually perform better if I wake up a little later and go to bed a little later. So mm -hmm. my like focus time for like writing articles, writing my book is actually like between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Hmm. So that's like not your general recommendation. I mean, most people, like 90% of the population, it's best to go to bed by 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna wake up between six and seven around that time. You're gonna have like your focus time like between 10 and 12 before lunch. Whereas my focus time is way well later in the day. There are some people that also are on the other end of the spectrum where like their focus time is going to be earlier in the morning and they're going to actually be better if they go to bed at 8 p.m. So anyway, with that in mind, I don't eat until like two o'clock in the afternoon on most days. I'll generally wake up, I'll play with my son, I'll hang out, I'll go for a run or do like a workout, do some meditation. And then I'll like take a shower or get ready, check my emails. And then I'll usually eat lunch like sometime around two or three. Um, and lunch is usually like a big salad with some like healthy fats on it, like olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, some vegetables. And that usually satisfies me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, like I think like definitely the week before my period, I tend to be a little bit hungrier. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I'll have like some type of like a, um, a bar, like that is more a higher fat, lower sugar bar, um, yeah. sometime around like four. Um, and then my family, usually it's dinner around seven. Dinner is usually some type of animal protein, whether it's fish or beef or chicken, um, and then some type of, some type of vegetables. So like um, asparagus or broccoli. Um, usually I have another salad with that or a soup. Um, my husband is like a different, he's on a different kind of diet plan. He likes to have more carbs. So he'll also make a carb at dinner. So he'll make like rice or a potato or something like that um, in addition to but I'll always just have the, I usually won't have a carb at dinner, not because I'm trying to avoid carbs, but actually I don't crave it. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a little bit of sweet potato or I taste a little bit of the rice, but honestly, I don't usually eat it. Um, and then later, different, different times of your menstrual cycle or when you're working with other women, that it's a better time to add in carbs? Yeah, I think like the, like the week before your, your period yeah. starts, um, that's when more cravings tend to happen. Right. And that's also when like, there's a little bit of a psychological draw to, to have a little more carbohydrates. And um, so that I always say like, go with your intuition. Like if you're feeling like you're craving it, um, choose a healthier portion or healthier yeah. 
type, like don't go for French fries, go for a sweet potato. Yeah. You know, yeah. Don't go for like the gluten bread, maybe have like some wild rice. And right. so that's going to make sure it's something that's going to agree with your body and that it's not a sensitivity or anything like that. So definitely, yeah, but I don't, I notice that like, again, I don't count. So when I feel like having it, I'll have it, but it's not that often. Yeah. And then um, I, but I do like fruit in the summertime. I do eat more fruit. Mm-hmm. So when things are in season, I will eat like more fruit in the summer. I'll have more soups in the winter. I might even have more fat in the winter than yeah. I do in the spring. So I think like seasonally, we, we actually don't eat seasonally anymore, but um, I think it's very healthy to eat seasonally yeah. and it's local it's cheaper. Like they're actually, foods are on sale when they're, yeah. they're in season. And then it's also your body is, it's good to have a variety of different types of foods throughout the year. We're like one of the only cultures that eats like the same thing all year long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you like to train fasted or do you like to train after a meal? Yeah, I definitely like to train fasted, yeah. um, especially if I'm doing like hard, a harder mm-hmm. workout. I definitely feel better. I'm training fasted. If I'm doing a heavy weight workout though, I mm-hmm. do sometimes do that later in the day and that's after mm-hmm. I eat. Yeah. So it all depends. Um, but most, most of the time I will train fasted. Like if I'm doing yoga or if I'm doing cardio or light weights, I definitely feel better doing yeah. it fasted. And then for anyone who's looking for like performance, um, there is a lot of research that shows that you will burn more fat um, on a fasted state, but you might have a little bit lower performance on a fasted mm-hmm. state. So if you're looking to get like your your PR on like a bench press, you might do better if you have some mm. like some fast kick burning carbs before your workout, um, or even some healthy fats. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I personally I love working out fast. I think I think what big thing at that plays a role is how keto adapted you are. So yeah, if you're pretty definitely. keto adapted. Then it's like I did a um, thirty six hour fast and then worked out and it was like my energy during that workout was unbelievable. Like I just felt so good. I was like recovering between sets, but then I did amino acids right afterwards, right? Uh, that helps, yeah. you know, get those like essential amino acids in right away. For sure. Because um, yeah, if you can extend the fast after a, tr- after a workout like that, you can lose performance, right? So that's true. Yeah. But it's pretty interesting because I was actually, I used to do a lot of uh, endurance races, like ultra marathons yeah. and triathlons. And I, I had signed up for a race to run all the way around Lake Tahoe, which is 76 yeah. miles. And so two, two months before that race, yeah. I decided, because one of the things I hated about marathons was it's really hard to get like the calories that you need on the run and the options that they have, like those horrible, like processed goo. Um, yeah. If you ever run a marathon, yeah, you know, yeah. like sucky things. Or, to like, get those gunny. carbs in, yeah, quick or, energy. Horrible options. So I'm, I was wondering, like, how can I do this without having to, eat that crap and it'd be really hard for me to eat like a chicken breast while you're running yeah. <laughs> it's like really hard to do so I started about two and a half or three months before I started like going hardcore keto so yeah. I wanted yeah. to be my goal is to be fat adapted for the race and then I was just gonna fuel on like nut butter or olive or coconut yeah. oil and things like that while during the run because one thing that I noticed every time when I ate like if I ran a longer distance race and I had more than two of those quick carb kind of yeah. snack at my stomach would just get horribly mm. uncomfortable. So my legs were fine. My muscles were fine. But the thing that would slow me down would be my stomach. So I'm like, how can I get around that? Cause this is a 76 mile race. This is a yeah. long race. Yeah. You have so, to fuel. 
Yeah. So I decided to just go keto and it was one of my best races I had. I had no digestive issues. I came in like second in the race and, you know, I was not training as hardcore as yeah. like the other people where I, I was, you know, full on doctor at the time had, you know, a lot of responsibilities. I weren't, it wasn't doing like the hardcore training that I would have done um, yeah. when I was younger. So it was pretty amazing. And I felt awesome doing that. So you weren't training specifically for that race. You were just keeping yourself in good shape. Right. Keto adapted. And then you went out and you did this. Exactly. Uh, and you performed really well. Yeah. And it was the best experience I had as far as like feeling good and feeling yeah. good. Oh, and then the funny part is the next day they had like a regular marathon and yeah. I actually did that the next day. Oh my gosh. I was so well you were able to recover. So amazing yeah. recovery too. Yeah. It was awesome. And so I would totally, if there's any athletes out there, anyone who's interested in like running fat adapted or doing like triathlons fat, I would totally recommend it. I'm happy to like share my experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about detox and the role of detox. Obviously you had a lot of hormonal issues. So we see people with chronic toxicity. So what are some good strategies people can apply to help detox, to help balance out their hormones? Yeah, that's a detoxification. When we think about it, it's really about like taking things out of your body that are interfering with its normal processes. Right. And it didn't used to be something we had to think about so much in like for our grandmothers and their mothers there wasn't as many toxins around at the time. So it wasn't something that you actively had to like really think about, but now just the nature of the world that we live in and with technology now and modern processing and all the manufacturing, there's definitely a lot more toxins in our environment than there ever have before. I mean, coming in contact with them every day, no matter if we are as like clean as we can be, you're going to go out into the world, you're going to get into an Uber, you're going to eat at a restaurant, you're going to come in contact with the toxins. And the more toxins we have in our body, the, the harder it is for our body to do the things it needs to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, detox isn't important because our body has natural detoxification like mechanisms. We have our liver, we have our skin, we have our breath, all these are methods of detox that are built in. And that is completely true. Like our bodies are wonderful at detoxing when there's not an overload of toxins put in, you know, you got to think about like your body is built to, you know, be in a natural world. So we're, we evolved to be in nature. And so there's natural toxins that happen. There's metabolic processes that have byproducts that happen in our body. So that's natural. But if we start like overloading the system with hundreds and thousands of more toxins than it's used to, of course, it's going to slow things down. I always think about the I Love Lucy episode. I don't know if you were, you, if anyone remembers I Love Lucy, but she had like, she was on this like conveyor belt line and she's doing good. She's putting like the, the things in the boxes and all of a sudden it starts speeding up and then she starts like stepping in her bra and, you know, <laughs> yeah, and this is what our liver is doing. Like, it's like, Hey, Hey, wait up. Like there's too much going on in like when we talk about like natural endogenous detox, like our body knows that like estrogen, for example, gets used up. And then we, once the estrogen has been used, it has to be detoxed and excreted from the body. And so if we drink alcohol, like if women are drinking a couple glasses of wine at night, the body is like, okay, wait, hang on estrogen, hang out over here. We got to take care of this alcohol. We got to detox that. And then we'll, we'll go back and detox you. Meanwhile, the estrogen is waiting too long, gets impatient. And it starts circulating through the body again. This is why we have problems like estrogen dominance and all the things that come along with it. So whether it's alcohol or it's plastics or it's chemicals like glyphosate, um, whatever it is that's coming in and like in interrupting your body's natural detoxification process, 
it can impede your body's natural ability to have the balance that it needs. Yeah. What are some things that, that you recommend for people to do to help detoxify? I mean, number one is avoid toxins, right? Like, yeah. cause it's easier to just avoid never the put them in your body than it is to detox them out. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's like step one, like clean, you know, personal care products. Always look at the labels, try to go USDA organic if possible. It's going to have less toxins in it. And then also the containers that they're in, if you can get glass containers, it's better than plastic. And um, you're like, when you're reheating food or storing food, and if you do that in glass or silicone other than plastic, because that's going to leach the plastics into your food and then you're going to consume that. Um, you know, uh, cleaning supplies in your house and um, definitely having like some type of air filter, air filtration systems, yeah. water filtration system. These are things that you can do um, just in general. And also like things like dryer sheets. Those things are full of toxins. So using yeah. some essential oils instead is going to be a great way to go. Um, same as air fresheners, essential oils make a great stand-in. And a lot of like cleaning products, there's so many recipes online now that you can make mm-hmm. your own with like a few ingredients and a couple of essential oils. Mm-hmm. So there's some great ways to do that. Um, and then with your food, like just trying to go as natural as possible, eating your food in the most natural state. Like if you can like see, like if you look at your food and you can know what it is and like just picture how it was in nature, that's going to be better. It's going to be less processed than like if you're eating like, something that is supposed to be chicken, but it's not really chicken because vegetarian, like that's just not, um, nothing against vegetarians. Like that's totally fine, but eat vegetables, eat things as they come out of the earth. Yeah. But you know, never eat things that are supposed to be something else. Like chicken that doesn't come in a McNugget form. So don't eat it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good advice right there. How about some other things? Um, Like I really am a big fan of saunas and detox. So like, um, our body, our biggest detoxification organ is our skin. Mm. And so by sweating, we're actually releasing the impurities through our sweat. Yeah. And that's a huge way to do it. Um, and some people like can exercise and they can sweat. And that's a great way to do it as well. Some people don't sweat that much. And for those people, I always recommend doing like an Epsom salt bath. Um, like put some magnesium salts in a bath and get it as hot as you can. Mm. Sit in there and that'll yeah. kind of help the um, detox. Yeah. So you don't have to have a sauna. You know, you can definitely, like everyone, most people have a bathtub. If you don't have a bathtub, there's other ways to do it as well. But magnesium salts in the bath, it's sold as Epsom salt. It's like the cheapest detox um, thing you can get. You can go to the grocery store and get Epsom salts for super cheap. And you just put it in the bathtub. You can put some essential oils in and make it an aromatherapy experience. Um, So sitting in there for like 20 minutes in the evening, not only will it help your body detox, but it also helps you kind of lower your stress levels and get you ready for better lower. It'll raise your body temperature and then your body temperature will start coming down and then you're more naturally will be able to fall asleep as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a great like non-drug way to not only detox, but also help you fall asleep better. Um, And then castor oil packs are also a great thing. In naturopathic medicine, we use castor oil packs a lot, Um, but they're kind of like a maybe a weird thing that most people don't know about. Um, yeah. It's just castor oil on the skin, cover it with either a t-shirt or a wool cloth or some other um, covering, just not plastic. And then you just let it sit and that actually helps your lymphatic system to mm-hmm. circulate. And lymphatics, your blood, like everyone knows about your circulatory system, your blood kind of transports all the nutrients and oxygens everywhere it needs to go. Well, the lymphatic system is kind of like the, the garbage system. It kind of like is where all the toxins and all the things that your body doesn't need anymore kind of goes through, but it doesn't really have a pump. So like by moving and by using your castor oil pack, you're helping to that, that system to work. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about some herbs that you like? Yeah. So like things like milk thistle are great mm. for, for uh, helping the liver detox. Um, I like turmeric. Um, mm-hmm. It has anti-inflammatory process, um, properties yeah. that also is great for detox as well. Um, gosh, there's so many that people can use. But I mean, I really think that like and using cruciferous vegetables like broccoli sprouts mm-hmm. or broccoli, that will help with liver detox as well. It helps your body to excrete the estrogens that are those recirculating estrogens as well. Um, so yeah, there's so many. I mean, there's so many different herbs you can get into, but I think like just keeping it simple is like the best way most people can go. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about your GLOW protocol and uh, how that works and how you're helping people with that. Yeah, so the GLOW protocol, it's kind of like my, well, GLOW actually stands for genetic leveraging for optimal wellness. And what Mm -hmm. that really means, that's like a lot of words. What it really means is like taking you as an individual and finding the way for, the best way for you to actually um, improve health with a systems-based approach. So. there's not one best way for every single person to improve health. There's there's a lot of different ways you can get from point A to point B, but there's really one best way for each person based on their genetics, based on their lifestyle, based on their health history, their environment, and their goals. And so we we basically take people through a process where we will look at their history, we'll look at their um, current state of health, we'll look at their goals, we'll look at anything that is maybe um, holding them back from getting into perfect health, like could be their environment, could be what they're eating, it could be their relationships, their stress level. And then we match them up with a food plan that's going to um, help them reach their goals. But then we also take them through each system of the body. So like we have our GI system, we have our our immune system, we have detoxification hormones, um, mitochondria, which are energy production. and then we have our transport is like circulation and lymph. So each system of the body um, works with each other system of the body. So when we go through one by one and we actually remove the dysfunctions in each of those systems, then we're able to remove the symptoms that you might be experiencing. And overall, when you actually go through each system of the body and you remove dysfunction, you're going to remove disease in the body. So no matter what you're diagnosed with, if you have diabetes or cancer or Alzheimer's or any kind of diagnosis, if you go system by system and you clean up the dysfunctions, you're going to have a better um, yeah. prognosis at the end. So that's kind of, it doesn't replace going to a doctor. It doesn't replace medicine, but it's all the things that you can actually do on your own in, in, at home that will actually help move that lever for you. And, and believe it or not, there's so many people that have had, you know, under autoimmune conditions that have got their antibodies down to under 10, basically zero. We've had a lady um, with multiple sclerosis who basically came to us not because she wanted to reverse multiple sclerosis, but because she didn't want it to get any worse with the progressive disease. And so she was in a wheelchair and her doctor said that she was just going to keep getting worse. So she's like, I just don't want to keep getting worse. So she went through and like she figured out that there was so many things that were causing that inflammation and that immune response going on in her body. And when she was able to remove the toxins, balance the hormones, improve the inflammation she not only did not get worse but she actually started walking again so there's so many different things that you can do um and it's all things that you can do at home it's all non-medicine it's all there's no pills there's no shots there's some supplements that we recommend that are going to be beneficial individually to certain people but it's not like everybody needs to take every supplement because yeah. um, using the genetics you can see like oh well you actually 
have the gene that allows your body to release sugars into your intestines to actually feed your bacteria so you don't actually need to get on probiotics for the rest of your life. Mm. Whereas somebody else doesn't have that gene or doesn't have that gene turned on, I should say, we all have the gene, but they will need to take probiotics for the rest of your life. So we seeing those different things and like with vitamin D, for instance, some people are, are really good at taking vitamin D from the sun and converting it into usable vitamin D in their body. So other people just due to genetics actually don't have that mechanism working as well. So those are the people that are gonna really wanna be supplementing with vitamin D on a long-term basis. So knowing those things, you can be more strategic about what you're buying for your health, what you're doing for your health. And even like with ketogenic diet, like some people actually process monounsaturated fats better than saturated fats. And just knowing which ones are better for you, that you're just gonna go heavier on those in your diet. Not to say you can't eat any of the others, but like knowing which ones to go heavier on is just going to be healthier for you. This is why some of the proponents of the ketogenic diet will say, oh, well, saturated fats cause heart disease, right? And they'll say, oh, you can't eat that much fat and be healthy. Well, because there's a few people that have the genes that shouldn't be on a high saturated fat diet, but would do really well on a ketogenic diet that focused on monounsaturated mm. and polyunsaturated fats. So knowing those things, you can kind of debunk all of the... Yeah. The headlines that you see that, oh, this diet causes this. And, and then someone else says, oh, eggs are good. Eggs are bad. You know, coffee is good. Coffee is bad. Fat is good. Fat is bad. Well, it's because there's certain people with different genetic markers that actually make these things that have to be more precision. You, it's not that keto is bad. It's just how you do keto is going to be different based on your genetics. Yeah, absolutely. Genetics play a big role. And so what are some of the key genes that you look at that you see oh as big players? We look at like over a thousand genes in our program. Yeah. So um, like some of the, like one of the ones that like most people are very interested in, um, there's the FTO gene, which is, mm -hmm. it's kind of nicknamed by science as the FATSO gene. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be fat if you have this gene turned on. However, it does mean that it might be easier for you to get fat if you don't exercise, if you smoke, if you eat like the standard American diet. So these are, this is why some people will say, well, my grandfather smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. He ate fried chicken all day and he lives in 95. Well, his FTO gene was not turned on. So he was that lucky person that could do that. But a majority of people are going to have it turned on just because evolutionarily, we actually, the people who ate more, survive like people with the bigger appetites are actually the ones that survived um yeah. you know so um some of the things that we think of bad now like the ability to store fat it seems like a horrible thing like you're a really good fat store dude you know that doesn't sound like a good thing but like back when there were famines the people who yeah. were really good fat stores survived so if you think about all the people that survived to pass their genes on to us it's all the people that were really good fat stores so now we have a lot of people that are really good fat stores in a time of abundance where we have food like on every corner. It's just so accessible to us. So those people are more prone to being able to store fat quicker, which is not really a bad thing from an evolutionary perspective. That's a bad thing from like a now perspective. Yeah, and yeah. so knowing that you're one way or another, it just means that you need to pay more attention in that area. So FTO is a big one. And then also like the dopamine, so the DRD2 um, is a big one when it comes to like um, cravings, um, addiction propensity, snacking, depression. So like knowing where you fall on that spectrum gives you like the, basically gives you the like, the feeling that it's not just willpower, right? If you have a gene that like makes you more prone to addiction or more prone to snacking, 
then it's not really your fault. But knowing that, you can actually take responsibility. You can actually put yourself in those situations. They're not going to leave you susceptible to doing a behavior that you don't want to do or that doesn't serve you. So like, I really like using genetics to help people understand themselves rather than trying to fit themselves into like it's the round peg in the square hole, you know, trying to fit yourself yep. into the diet that your friend is doing or the fitness program that your girlfriend does. Um, and maybe it doesn't work for you and there's reasons why. It's not because you're bad at it. It's not because you're not following the directions as well. It's just because there's certain things about you that are different than other people. That's why we, some people have blonde hair and some people have brown hair. That's why some people are taller, some people are shorter. We don't feel like, damn, you know, I'm not doing it right. I'm not, I didn't grow taller. We don't like beat ourselves up for that. So we beat ourselves up for not being able to follow a specific plan that might be popular mm. right now. What's the biggest thing you found out about yourself looking at uh, genetic? Yeah, so like one, um, there's actually two things. So one of the biggest yeah. things was the um, delayed phase sleep syndrome that I talked mm. about earlier. Yeah. Because I am a person that just does not do well getting up early in the morning and mm -hmm. being in a meeting. And so I had a really hard time when I was in corporate America and people have meetings at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would not be able to show up or I just wouldn't be able to think. And so I always thought like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get up like everybody else gets up? And why can't I fall asleep like everybody else falls asleep? And so I would take like sleeping pills to get me to fall asleep. I'd be like four coffees and like caffeine pills to get up in the morning. And then once I understood like, okay, this is actually not what my body's meant to do. Once I started honoring my circadian rhythm as its program, not only was I able to be like more alert and focused, but also because your clock, your circadian clock actually um, regulates all the other body clocks like your liver and your hormones and all the organs have their own body clock. Once I actually adopted the um, timing that was better for my body, it was easier for me to balance my hormones. My detox worked better, my digestion worked better. And so like finding out that was like a huge needle mover for me for sure. Um, and then another one that was huge for me was the, um, the mold gene. So um, we actually lived in a location, we were talking about this before we started recording, where there was a lot of mold. And my, my husband didn't notice anything, like, so he was fine. And I was in the middle of writing a book at that time. So I thought, well, maybe I'm just overworked because I'm feeling like really sick lately. So maybe I'm just not sleepy enough or maybe I'm not eating well. I don't know what it is. So I started really focusing on my sleep. So I focused on eating, I still was feeling like crap. And so I looked at my genes and I'm like, oh, well, you know, my husband doesn't have the genes that make him susceptible to mold, but I do. So we started like investigating and there was mold mm -hmm. in the home that we we're living in. So we moved to another place, there was mold there. And mm -hmm. so just knowing that I had that susceptibility actually um, triggered me to actually leave that location and like get better, which, you know, some people don't realize because they're the only one in their house that is experiencing negative effects and they feel well, if there was mold, everybody would feel like this. Everybody would be thinking there was something wrong. So it must be just something else. And it's not, it's actually because only one person in the household might have those genetics. Yep. Well, that's just really, really great insight, Dr. Michelle. And uh, so guys, that's the GLOW protocol and you can find out more information about her on her website, Dr. Michelle Sands. It's drmichellesands.com, right? That's- It's that's actually GLOW Natural Wellness. Oh. Glow Natural Wellness. There you go. GlowNaturalWellness.com. Um, you can check that out. Great book, Hormone Harmony. And uh, Dr. Michelle, I just want to acknowledge you for being a source of inspiration for so many people. I know you're helping thousands of women all around the world. And um, just your positivity, uh, your insight, your knowledge level. I mean, you're constantly learning. 
and um, you've obviously developed a great program to help people. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. And um, yeah, any last words of inspiration for our, our community? You know, I just want people to, to understand their body actually does have the power to heal. And we, I get they cut their hand. They'll see that their, their cut actually heals itself and all of our yeah. body can do that. And so just believing in yourself, that track coach that I mentioned earlier on, she actually told me one thing that actually stood with me all through my life. And she said, your body can do anything that you want it to do. All you need to do is feed it, train mm -hmm. it and believe in it. Right. So like believing in your body is a huge part. So I just want everyone to know that like there's so much you can do and pretty much everything that's going on with your body can be changed. Our cells actually renew themselves every 90 days. So um, you can be a whole new you, you know, the next time, this, this time next year. So powerful. Absolutely. I second that. Your body can heal itself. And guys, remember, you're more valuable than you think you are. So start taking action to improve your health today. Be blessed, guys, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.